It's Thursday, August 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Warning to pet owners. A toxic algae bloom has killed three dogs in a matter of hours. Owners Melissa Martin and Denise Mintz took their dogs to play in a nearby pond. Only one of the dogs swam in the water, but he got the other two wet. Hours later, they died after seizing and showing signs of liver failure. Alex Gorino, reporter for WECT in North Carolina, joins us to talk about the toxic bacteria coming from these algae blooms that are popping up more and more. Next, rapper ASAP Rocky and two associates were found guilty of assault in a Swedish court, but will not face any more jail time, ending a case that has drawn international attention. The case caught the attention of celebrities and even President Trump, who sent his top hostage negotiator to monitor the trial. Alex Marshall, reporter for the New York Times, joins us for how the judge ruled. Finally, earlier this week, the Trump administration announced changes to the way the Endangered Species Act would be enforced, and many fear that it would lead to less protections for endangered plants and animals, and would clear the way for new mining, oil and gas drilling, and development in areas where protected species live. Keona Smith, reporter for Ars Technica, joins us for the new rules. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Harpo, as soon as he heard us, he was trying to get out of the cage and he came onto the floor and he was like trying to wrap his paw around my arm and I just told him what a good boy he was and how he had done so much and that we weren't going to let this happen for nothing. Joining us now is Alex Guarino, reporter for WECT in North Carolina. Thanks for joining Thank us, Alex. Very, thank you very much for having me. So this story is a, a warning to pet owners. Uh, the crazy thing about this story is how fast this all happened. And we're talking about this toxic algae bloom that killed three dogs in a matter of hours there in North Carolina. Help us walk through this story. What happened to them? So it was pretty crazy. I actually, um, as a dog owner and lover myself, would follow some dog accounts on Instagram and read about this exact thing the day before out of Austin, Texas, and woke up the next morning to a message from Denise's son-in-law just kind of saying, you know, this is what happened. They're devastated, but they don't want their dog's death to be in vain. So as upset as they are right now, they really want to kind of get the word out to make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. They were actually in the process of moving and a neighbor invited them to come play with their dog along the banks of this small little pond. Went out there myself, looked very clear. Two of the dogs, the smaller ones, Abby and Izzy, didn't even get in the water. Harpo, the bigger one, did. And so as much as I understand, it's toxic when you drink the water. But even if the dogs were wet and lick their paws, anything like that, get this bacteria, which is very lethal very quickly. And it's been crazy to see it spread so quickly, really around the country. Yeah, there, there's been other stories. There was a, a dog in Georgia that it happened to. And I, I live out here in California and we're always hearing stories. Beware of this toxic algae bloom. But I had never heard it affecting dogs like this until, you know, just these uh, couple of stories that we're talking about right now. And the, the crazy thing is how quickly it happened. The one dog went swimming and then just hours later, they started getting some symptoms. What happened there? One of the dogs, they brought all three dogs home to take baths. One of the dogs started seizing almost immediately. And so the owner brought her to the emergency vet and 
she got a call from Denise a few minutes later saying both of the other, their dogs are acting strange. The vet said, you know, you need to bring them in right away. The vet actually needs to call poison control because they weren't entirely familiar with this toxic algae bloom either. Um, poison control kind of worked with them to determine that's what it was, but they knew the dogs were suffering, showed of liver failure and basically had to make the decision to put the dogs down. They weren't going to make it at night. So they got to say their goodbyes, but it was certainly heart-wrenching. Melissa was actually working on writing a book about Harpo and all the work that he had done as a therapy dog, was hoping to get on Ellen or Good Morning America to showcase this. This dog was very beloved by a lot of people. And, you know, she told me that she said to him, you know, you're a good boy. You've done so much. And that since then, their promise has been... Let's not let this be for nothing. Tell, tell us a little bit more about this toxic algae bloom. Uh, like, what does it look like? How can we identify it? Sometimes it's called blue-green algae for the color, obviously. But tell us a little more about it. From my research, I understand that it thrives in hot, dry weather, and it certainly has been very hot and pretty dry here recently. So we are still working. I'm actually meeting with a doctor tomorrow morning to learn more about bacteria that the algae actually is and what symptoms that can have or what effects it can have on both pets and potentially children as well. From my understanding also that it it could affect humans, although, you know, obviously since we're not usually drinking the water or anything like that, humans don't really get it as much. But with dogs, they're lapping up the water. I've read also that uh, if it kind of comes up on shore, it can get a little dry and crusty, and the the, the dogs like to go munch on that also because they love the taste of it, I guess, or something. So it, it's kind of mm-hmm. it's it's potentially dangerous, and, and it's kind of all over the place anywhere near these little bodies of water. I mean, it's just totally unfortunate. And the shocking thing is how quickly it happens within a matter of hours. Some of these dogs are experiencing you know, symptoms of liver failure and things like that. That's how quickly it works. Since then, that the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality does have a map where they identify large areas known to have these toxic algae blooms, but it's impossible for them to do that with every small little pond. And, you know, being a dog owner, a dog lover, living in Wilmington, North Carolina, where it's incredibly hot, you think you're doing the right thing by letting your dog go play when it cools off at night and these owners want to see signs at every kind of little pond, body of water, lake, no matter what, just warning against it. My understanding is that in some parts around the country, signs are going up, but to your point of how quickly it can happen, so many dog owners, pet owners now are just incredibly worried about letting their dog go in any standing body of water. Alex Guarino, reporter for WECT in North Carolina. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I couldn't help but assume that these guys were under the influence of some type of drugs. Me and the crew start to tell them, listen, go the other way. We don't want no problems. We don't want no beef. Joining us now is Alex Marshall, European culture reporter for The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about ASAP Rocky. Uh, he was found guilty of assault in Sweden, but he won't be serving any more prison time. He's already served about a month there. Tell us a little bit more about what happened in this case. At the end of June, he was playing a concert in Stockholm and was 
followed he got into an alt his group got into an altercation with two sort of teenagers in the city who ended up having their headphone one of their headphones are broken and they kept on following asap rocky and his bodyguards and his friends around and around and eventually a fight broke out asap was seen throwing one of them to the ground and then kicking and punching him ASAP also put out his own video claiming it was in self-defense and cooperated with police. But the way Swedish justice works is you can be, if you're deemed a flight risk, and most foreigners are, you can be locked up while an investigation is ongoing in a Swedish detention center. And from that moment, the case almost exploded and it went from being what most people would consider a sort of small brawl in a back street into this humongous international diplomatic incident and that finally came to a head today with the verdict and despite you know what asap and his two co-defendants said that they acted in self-defense that they were provoked the judges decided that there was no evidence of that or at least there was no reason for them to have basically beaten up a guy right you mentioned the Swedish justice system. You know, part of it was he was in jail for a month. He, he spent about three quarters of that time before even being charged. And that kind of contributed yes. to why there was such an international furor about it. The president, President Donald Trump, got involved in it. Also, he called the Swedish prime minister. He started tweeting at everybody saying, let him go. This was after, you know, Kanye he, he West. He sent his special envoy for hostage negotiations. Right. And I think that was like the big the point. Trial. Where, and, you know, by all accounts, he didn't do anything. He was just there to oversee what was happening. But in all, you know, he just got time served. He is going to have to pay some money to the defendant. How much is that going to be? It's going to be about um, $1,300, I think. It's hardly, it's hardly anything. Right. It's to be shared between the three of them based on oh, wow. their ability to pay. So I'm assuming Rocky will be the one who will, who will foot most of the bill. I mean, when, when it comes down to it, to, to many people, it will seem as a you know, a completely overblown instance if that's all that happens at the outcome. But I think watching it, because I'm, I'm obviously based in London and talking to any Swedish people about it, they also, throughout the trial, they couldn't see what the fuss was about from their side. You know, to them, they thought this was, you know, a clear evidence, you know, clear incident of assault. And, you know, ASAP Rocky should face justice for it. And I think it's been a really interesting case for sort of looking at these two sort of conflicting worldviews almost. Although obviously interesting isn't a word which I, I imagine ASAP Rocky or his two co-defendants or right. the prosecution side would want to use for this case. You know, for them, it was all it was a very serious and incident and one I doubt any of them will want to repeat. A lot of the case surrounded the use of the potential use of a bottle. The prosecution were saying that ASAP and his crew threw a bottle at at him or, or you know, hurt him with a bottle somehow. I don't know if he was cut because hit of the him, bottle. Hit him with yeah. a bottle. And, and, and the there head. are pictures of, of Aesop holding a bottle, but he said he put it down after. And that's another reason why they just let him off with time served, because they didn't adequately prove that he was using the bottle to hit him or anything. The judges ended up putting a lot of weight on the only two independent witnesses of the event, who were two young Muslim girls who gave testimony in the trial. And both of those said they saw bottles but didn't see any being actually used in the fight. One one initially told the police she did see it but changed her testimony during the trial. And, you know, I think the judges have decided that those women are the only people who could be deemed completely reliable in this. They said the bottle was present but they didn't see anything 
of it being used. So obviously, ASAP Rocky and no, neither of the co-defendants either could be charged for a, a really vicious assault in that case. And they also, the judge also said that the injuries weren't consistent with, you know, sort of being properly assaulted with a bottle. You know, he might, there might have been some smashed glass, which the guy could have rolled over. And, you know, it's just literally not known. Right. So he has to pay $1,300, some other court fees. He has his time served. Is that all? There's no, no there's nothing like uh, ASAP Rocky's never welcomed in Sweden again or anything like that, is there? No, he's well. He's he's welcome in Sweden. He he shouldn't commit a crime again in Sweden. <laughs> right, exactly. That's for for sure. The judgment's conditional for two years. So if he does, if if he did happen to commit another crime for some reason in Sweden, the the judgment for that would be harsher because of this incident. If it was in the next two years, but no, he's welcome back in Sweden. He's welcome in Europe. He's meant to be playing three shows in Europe. Uh, you know, he's a huge draw for any hip-hop fan in Europe. So ASAP is he's going to want to come back to Europe, you know, to play, to see his fans, to earn as soon as he can. Whether personally he'll want to go back to Sweden anytime soon, we, we just don't know. Alex Marshall, European culture reporter for the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. What's actually being changed are the regulations for the Fish and Wildlife Service that tell them how to implement the responsibilities that the act has assigned to them. Joining us now is Kiona Smith, reporter for Ars Technica. Thanks for joining us, Kiona. Absolutely. Happy to be here. The Trump administration has announced changes to the Endangered Species Act. It's been like two years of revision and review and a lot of people are not very happy with what the changes uh, that are going to be made. They're saying that it could kick certain uh, certain animals off the list. There's a lot of subtle wording changes that are really having a bigger effect than, than you might think. Tell us a little bit about some of these changes, Kiona. Well, I think subtle is really the important word here. I have seen a, a fair bit of coverage that somewhat overstates the case. I've seen claims that this makes it more difficult for regulators to take into account the effects of climate change, for instance. And that's not really the case. There's subtle wording changes that do things like make it easier for regulators not to take into account the effects of climate change. A lot of these are really subtle little changes that leave room for interpretation. And I mean, some of them are, are really hair-splitting things that come down to what does the word foreseeable mean? What does the word likely mean? But when you're crafting a regulation, those things are what shape how you get to interpret that and implement it. Tell us a little bit about the Endangered Species Act and what has been going on with that. Yeah, it was passed in 1973 under the Nixon administration, and it's been a little bit contentious with certain industry segments since then. Uh, ranchers, loggers, and oil companies in particular think that the act often oversteps and denies them the ability to work on their land and cuts into their profits and in, in the case of some ranchers, even their ability to make a living. But at the same time, the act has done a tremendous amount of good for a lot of species. There are about four dozen that have actually come off the list and about three quarters of those have come off the list because their populations have rebounded. And it's actually been fairly resilient to attack. There's been a huge push the last couple of years in particular to put through bills that would overhaul the act or weaken some of its provisions. You know, we've seen close to two dozen either proposed by the administration or introduced in, in the House of Representatives just since 2016. But even in 
a Republican-controlled Congress, none of those made it to the Senate. Interestingly, what we're seeing now are changes to the regulations, which the Trump administration actually proposed last year. So let's get into a little bit of specifics and what is exactly going to change. Uh, species that are already on the list, on the threatened or endangered list, won't have their protections changed right away, but some could still get downgraded from the endangered to the threatened status. And you mentioned stuff about climate change. What are some of these specifics in here? What's actually being changed are the regulations for the Fish and Wildlife Service that tell them how to implement the responsibilities that the act has assigned to them. The, the act sort of spells out their broad mission and the nuts and bolts of how they carry that mission out are contained in, in this regulation. And that's what's being changed. So again, there's a lot of hair splitting right, going on right. here, but that, that's a really important point. So one of the big specifics in terms of threatened species is actually that species listed as threatened after these changes go into effect won't automatically get the same kinds of protections that endangered species get. You know, until now, if you listed a species as threatened, it automatically got the same level of protections in terms of habitat protection and in terms of prohibitions on hunting or harvesting that endangered species got. The change now is that's not going to be the case. Threatened species are going to get an individually tailored set of protections, which of course the immediate concern there is that might be a lesser set of protections, which would leave these species more vulnerable to eventually becoming endangered. And yet this is raising huge concerns about how vulnerable threatened species are going to be in the future. And if a species is currently endangered, but then gets downgraded to threatened, it also then loses those protections and has a new set written up. And there are really concerns about whether the species welfare is going to be prioritized when that happens. One of the new rules in this that also gives the government a significant discretion in deciding what is meant by the term foreseeable future. Well, let me let me go back and actually just review what the definition of foreseeable future is. So here's some legalese for you. The term foreseeable future extends only so far into the future as the services can reasonably determine that both the future threats and the species response to those threats are likely. The problem with the term likely is that does kind of leave an opening to him and haw a bit about the climate science, which, again, there's a definite risk of here. And the, the big concern is that that stipulation about how far into the future you're looking may mean that regulators aren't obligated to take into effect some of the worst impacts of climate change, which aren't expected to really peak until a few decades from now. Right. That doesn't mean that they can't. That doesn't mean that it's harder for them to do so, but it does mean the door is open to not do so if that's how they want to interpret it. Now, the Fish and Wildlife Service addressed this directly in this big lengthy document where they outlined the new regulations and shared some of the feedback that they had gotten from stakeholders. And they've maintained that they're not planning to throw climate science out the window. They've explicitly said that they're going to consider the effects of climate change. But that doesn't mean they're obligated to do so. And that doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to hold up you know, to, say, a new a new set of regulators and administrators. So how that's going to play out in practice, yeah, I think there's legitimate cause for concern. Kiona Smith, reporter for Ars Technica. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.